0: And now, ladies and gentlemen, white coats of the round table. This podcast was made possible by Thrive AP, a transition to practice solution for PAs, NPs, and the facilities that employ them. Thrive AP's educational curriculums accelerate skill application of advanced practice providers, improving outcomes, retention, and career satisfaction. Thank you to Thrive AP for partnering with our show. Hi, everyone. Welcome to White Coats of the Round Table. My name's Mike Asbach, and I'm here with John McDonald. We are a healthcare podcast focused on career development, non-clinical careers, and the prevention of burnout. John, great to see you as always. Oh, it's great to see you. Uh, early in the morning, as usual, but I've been getting up earlier, so I've got
1: my cup of coffee ready to go. I was set up before even you were, so I am the man.
0: I'm very excited to hear that because I am a big proponent of early mornings. I love the quietness of mornings. I'm most productive first thing in the day. So today we're going to actually be extending our conversation from last week. We had so much information about interviews that we've really decided to make it into a three-part series. So the first week we talked about how to prepare for an interview. Last week, we talked about some common questions or maybe Q&As of how we can respond within an interview, and we're going to stick with that and continue um, on that theme today for this week. So with that, let's let's transition and talk about preparation. So I know one of the Q&As here that you have in our show notes, which of course we will post on the website, is prepared responses versus off-the-cuff. Now, let me give my thoughts and then I'll kick it back to you because you've already given a little bit into this and I'm guessing that we maybe fall on different sides of this. I am the type of person that in everything that I do, I prepare thoroughly and I will spend a ton of time reading up on it. I want to make sure that I am a subject matter expert in everything that I do, but then I will go into an interview or go into a presentation if I'm talking about speaking or consulting and do it off the cuff. So I have friends that will be verbatim give a presentation. They will prepare, you know, something for medical education and they will give the same jokes. They will give the same lines. They have the same transition points in their slides. And I personally, I just, I don't do well on that because it makes me feel too robotic and too stiff. So I prepare. It's not a lack of preparation, but I always live want to be off the cuff because I want to flow and transition in the way that feels right or the way that feels good at that time. Similarly with an interview, I would do the same thing. I would read up on the company. I would make sure that I know my personal performance metrics. I would know you know, where I have performed well in my previous jobs, how I think that would fit in the new company, but I would not have answers canned and ready to go because I think it would come off as very um, stiff and maybe not genuine if I'm, I'm giving answers that are too pre-canned or pre-prepared. So I'd love your thoughts on it. I, I refer back to Dow
1: Carnegie for for speaking uh, because I need to be I need to portray genuine uh genuine nature vulnerability and transparency or I feel like I'm lying to people so and I don't feel like I'm true to myself when you say robotic I I'm a creative type I like writing music I like drawing uh so I need to be able to to play jazz per se so I was thinking of how I wanted to answer this question last night because this is something that comes up constantly for me Uh, I view it like jazz in that sense though where jazz works if you're playing in the right key and you dance around and you might hit some weird flats uh, that doesn't sound like it, it fits but then it flows into the next thing you're like oh yeah okay that's that's jazz makes sense but it's right when you get out of key is when people are like what are you doing it's like playing the wrong chord or the wrong fret which i've done many times in the start of a song when playing in a band like you're up one fret it's like Pah! and people are like oh no like ruining it so you what i would view the key to be is having your general ideas of your behavioral type questions you know that they're going to ask certain questions. We talked about this last time. They're going to ask you, tell me about yourself. That can be a canned response for sure. And I would actually recommend, someone who does not recommend canned responses, I would recommend a canned response that takes two minutes or less to give you a a summary of what you've done, relevant, uh, tell the story of where things turned for you and why you're excited about what your direction in your career now. That's a a formula for success for answering that question. Tell me about a time. That's where you can get flexible. So tell me about a time where you disagreed with your boss and how did you handle that? You can have five points, five different stories that fit that question, but some of those answers can also fit. Tell me about a time where you had a disappointed uh, patient or customer and how did you rectify the situation? There are still things where a negative uh, problem or perceived negative problem has come up and you have to correct it somehow. That's where the jazz comes in. You can say, oh, well, you know, maybe this isn't exactly what you were asking, but um, this situation came up and this is how I handled it. Um, You know, does that answer your question? Uh, And they may say, yeah, or, or can you tell me a little bit more about this or let's focus in on more of this point? So yes, there are times where you should have a canned response because you don't want to ramble, but then there are times where the show, genuine um, thought, just have a couple points.
0: So I've done a fair amount of media training just, you know, with my professional career and it's actually quite lovely. So if listeners, if you ever have an opportunity to like sit down with a communication coach, it can be immensely helpful. And a lot of times these communication coaches, at least in the healthcare space when I've done it, um, it's been, you know, former news anchors or, or people that have done a lot of media. But one of the things that I consistently always learn from it is they tell us that in an interview setting, you want your answers to be about a minute. Because if you go longer than a minute, you're going to lose the audience. They're going to start wandering in their mind. They're, you're, it means you're probably not tight and concise in your response. And ironically, the podcast is actually tough because it is a different format where very often you and I are giving monologues or responses that are longer than a minute um, just because the format is going to be different. But in an interview, I think we can think of it very similar to that, where when they're giving you an opportunity to, to respond, if they're asking you a question, think about trying to keep it to a minute. The other thing that I always like to do is I like to think about having just two or three key points. And not necessarily incorporating all three key points in every answer, but making sure that all of my answers at least hit, hit on one of those key three points. So if I'm going into a job interview, I may say, okay, going into this, I want to focus on my productivity, you know, so the fact that I'm a highly productive provider in terms of billing and revenue. I want to focus on leadership, that I've had experience leading teams in clinical settings. And I want to focus on whatever else it could be, you know, further further development, administrative strengths. So then in my responses, if someone asks me a question, oh, tell me about a time or, you know, what can you do to do this? In my head, I'm going to try and craft a response that hits on either productivity, leadership, or administrative. And maybe I incorporate more than one, but I'm going to try and keep that response to a minute and I'm going to try and make sure that it always finishes and pivots back to those one of those core themes. And for me personally, That's how it helps me from wandering or becoming too tangential in my responses because I know that I always have to circle them back to a core theme. And that doesn't mean finishing with, and that's why I'm a good leader where it feels like an uh, an awkward pivot, but rather just making sure that my response is in theme with one of those three cores. Star responses. Yeah, truly, yes, yes. Go back to last week and listen to that. Tell the
1: situation, the task at hand, your action, and the result. If you can keep that formula, you can keep it under a minute uh, and not trail off. They, again, they don't want a monologue. They want to get to know you as fast as possible, as fully as possible. Um, but we can still showcase our personality uh, and how we do that. Well, let's talk about enthusiasm then. This is a great um, point to transition to. So how can how can we? Communicate our interest and enthusiasm without coming off as desperate or insincere.
0: I think part of it is pursuing jobs that align with your passion and interest. Yes. So there's a whole nother episode that we can talk about because I I'm a of belief that a big reason that we're seeing such high rates of burnout is because we've put too much emphasis on our jobs that we we now look at our careers to not only pay the bills, um, you know, but also provide us friendship. You know, meaning, purpose. And in my opinion, a lot of that we can offload and have it, you know, in our personal lives, whether it be social groups, finding activities or hobbies, things like that. When we rely on our job to offer all of that to us, then we're setting ourselves up for disappointment. But it really is helpful if you can find a job that you enjoy, a job that really brings you passion. So I think part of it is selecting jobs that are going to be aligning with something that you really are excited about. I think it's going to be hard if you hate, you know, sitting in a cubicle to pursue an administrative job where you're just going to be looking at spreadsheets or crunching numbers. Mm. If you are someone who loves clinical work, you should continue to pursue clinical jobs. If you're someone who loves management and leadership, and maybe you're in a clinical role right now, look for jobs that maybe give you more of that interpersonal management as opposed to just seeing patients. But beyond that, I think it's also important to just demonstrate enthusiasm by being knowledgeable. I think a lot of times you can show that you're enthusiastic by simply showing that you really are a subject matter expert in your area of expertise. You know, if I'm talking about psychiatric care of patients, I'm going to come off as enthusiastic because it's something that I've, re- I've dedicated my career to. And my hope is that anyone that I talk to about ketamine is going to see that as something that I really have a passion for because I have a very high level of knowledge regarding that subject.
1: Enthusiasm, uh, does not equal excitedness or an excitatory nature. I think that's where we get confused is that we're supposed to be like, oh man, um, I've been looking at this company for a long time and I'm tracking it for a couple of years now. And I'm just, so it's like, no, that's not what it is. It's, um, I had an interview I'm not gonna say how long ago but where I came into the interview more knowledgeable about a product than my hiring than the hiring manager and I didn't I didn't get the job because there's so many factors that go into those things anyways but I definitely portrayed enthusiasm because there were points when I was asked about um, this product, this drug that I was able to quote, the the studies, the landmark trials, and and the ones that were in trial right now, um, and I, I'm I'm having uh, some brain fog here right now, Mike. But when they released the re- uh, the some of the results prior to the full trial being finished, um, I'm forgetting the word right now. But uh, when they pre-release some of those like mid-mark mm-hmm. trials, I was a- I was able to even answer off of that, like, oh, in this trial. They're seeing this happen as well, and the hiring manager is like, "Oh, uh, yeah, I haven't, I haven't gotten to that um, study yet." And I felt like a boss, okay, because I knew more about it, and that showed enthusiasm. I wasn't mm-hmm. talking like this, wait my hand. I was just, I know about this thing, and I'm excited about it. I'm looking forward to where we go with this product. Um,
0: I completely agree. I think so I've had so many conversations and this is something where even it's not in a formal interview setting when I'm trying to pitch for consulting work or things like that. And I can you know say, hey, the this meta-analysis that came out last year is just so seminal and I really think that it's a, a cornerstone of messaging for this product. It's showing that you've done the work, it's showing that you're interested and passionate about the product and that you have a knowledge base on it that it, that exudes or, or represents, enthusiasm completely so
1: to to can can we boil that down how do we convey enthusiasm it's by preparing for the interview because you if you prepared for it by doing the research that's all you need to do you don't have to pretend to be an extrovert Um, you don't have to pretend to be someone like me who just I naturally just I use my hands I don't know
0: let's transition to I want to hear your thoughts on what's in it for me I'd love to get your thoughts on when is the right time to discuss salary, benefits, and negotiables. And I'm actually just going to let you tackle this one. What's in it for me? Whiff
1: them. Whiff them. Bow body. Bo body. That's an office. I don't know if that's going to fall flat or not. Anyways, that's why we pay an editor. So, whiff them. <laughs> What's in it for me? Uh, When do we ask the questions about salary, benefits, PTO, um or what we'll call the negotiables. The biggest question I think everybody asks is, how do we bring up salary? Or what if the management brings up salary first? How do we handle it? What I've uh, I've played around with this in many different interviews, and what I found to be the best advice um, was instead of starting off the conversation with salary if they bring it up, uh, it's completely fine and polite to say, I was hoping um, well I would like to actually discuss the the role a bit more the, the responsibilities, what's expected of me before I can convey how much salary I believe that when it gets to the point where that conversation actually comes up because most management most hiring managers will say, okay oh, yeah, it's perfectly fine let's let's talk about it at the end and if it comes up at the end and they say so uh, given the conversation, um, what is your what's your range? I have become very comfortable and confident in saying, well, before I give you uh, what my expectation is or what I would like, uh, what is the salary range for this position? Because that is an HR decision. They may tell you that, but most of the time they will. Because again, HR does set those those salary ranges and that's completely normal for them to give that out. You just have to ask for it. Most people don't ask for it. So if you get that salary range um, you might even say maybe it's not in your your range and you could say you know let's uh there's some things I want to think about with that range um I think that we can definitely talk more about that when uh if you do present an offer uh, but I would say my range is here to here given your salary range that's a, that's I think that's a great way to approach it it's respectful it's not um, underpricing or overpricing yourself, you're finding out what their range is and seeing if you fit within that. And maybe you don't, and it's okay to part at that point. Or you can wait for, this is this is where we need to transition to what's in it for me. Most of those other questions should start coming once they've presented an offer to you because the interview, especially the first interview, is a collection of data for the interviewer. Um, if we're it is for you as well, of course, because you you want some of your answers, your questions answered, but those negotiables can wait till after you've showed them how awesome you are and how you are the person for the position.
0: Yeah, I think my two cents on it would be that if you're a new grad or if you're relatively early in your career, you want to lean heavily on salary data like, for example, for PA, the American Academy of PAs every year puts out a salary report that not only talks about average salary, but also average PTO, average CME. Um, it gives a lot of those things. If you're newer, I think it's not a bad thing to fall back on that data. And if there's a, a salary discussion in the interview, if they say, oh, what's your expectation? You can just say, well, according to the APA salary guideline, the median is this. I'm hoping to be you know, right around the median. And then, of course, if they if they whittle you down and tell you that that's not realistic for whatever reason, then you can go from there. But I think if you're unsure, fall on those salary, the these professional associations and the salary data that comes with that. If you're more established in your career, for example, for me, if I were to be looking for a new job, I know exactly what I would be looking for pay-wise because I've been doing this for a while. I know what my revenue generation looks like. I know what my current percentage of revenue that I take home as compensation is, and I would have a very strict criteria. You know, if, for example, my my salary expectations would be driven by how much level of administrative support I get. So if I am looking at a job that has a very high level of administrative support, that means that I can see a higher volume of patients generate more revenue, and I would accept or expect a lower percentage of my revenue as compensation. If it's going to be a lower level of administrative support, some psych offices don't even have secretaries. It's just the provider and and the patient, then I would expect a much higher level of my revenue generation. And that's not necessarily just for people that are on a uh, productivity-based model. Even if your salary, I think it's reasonable to look at total compensation versus productivity. Obviously, if you're a provider, that's easier to do because you're generating specific billable codes. But you can even think about that if you are a healthcare professional that's not a billable pro- or a billing profession um, because I think there's still an opportunity to say, okay, well, this is what I'm making. this is what I would expect based on the level of support or, or level or my role in the job.
1: Okay. so is it fair to say your answer is, can be more aligned with when you're staying in the same industry or um, career path line where my
0: answer would be more beneficial for somebody who might be transitioning to a new career space? I totally agree. Yeah, I think once you're more established, you have more of an understanding of where you should be and how you should be compensated for it. If you're moving to a new industry, it's very similar to a situation where you are a new grad or you have less experience where then you may have to fall back on that objective data or that third-party data because A, your value in that new industry may be less, so you have less negotiating power and B, your experience or understanding of what is appropriate comp may not be there as well. Mike, I want to transition to our last question.
1: Are thank you notes even still a thing?
0: Yes. And here's how I would do it. LinkedIn. So mm-hmm. I would do it on LinkedIn and I do this all the time. If I am on a meeting, a virtual meeting with you know other healthcare professionals, I will always try and make note to connect with them on LinkedIn and then just send them a brief note and just say, hey, great, great chatting with you tonight, or it was so great to connect with you virtually. Nothing, no ask. Nothing beyond that, but I just make sure that I'm expanding my LinkedIn network, and I think that's the modern thank you note, is I can just send this little thing that shows my intentionality, it shows that I'm thinking of them, it shows that I'm reaching out and making that extra effort to show my appreciation for their participation, and I think that really goes a long way. I Man, if I had someone that I interviewed here at the job, and they sent me a actual real thank you card in the mail, I would be floored and really impressed. And yep. even within that, so I save just to show how impactful it can be, I all my students will get me thank you cards, and I keep them on my desk. I've got yep. piles and piles of thank you cards for people that aren't on video. I've got maybe 100 thank you cards in my hand right now. Dude, you're sentimental. I, I, I had I no idea. Really sentimental. So when Jeez. a student gives me a thank you card, I save it. I've got a whole basket of them, and there's probably 300 cards because I've never thrown one out. They're impactful. It matters. So take the time. It takes five minutes to do it. It's a 45-cent stamp. It's worth it.
1: Yeah, I, I, w- I would agree with you. Um, can, can we uh, wrap up by, I want I want to talk about a couple of the worst questions to ask, and then we'll finish with some of our personal points. So when we talk about salary and expectations, don't ask, how much does this position pay? How many vacations do I get per year? Don't do that. Don't start with that. Questions that show a lack of research um, or knowledge about the company. So what does your company do? or what are your main products and services? That's your job to find that out, guys. Personal questions, ooh, personal questions. This goes along with my question uh, the question of tell me about yourself. Don't talk about where you grew up. Like don't talk about your kids, Don't talk about your marriage. Has nothing to do with this job. Uh, but even more importantly, um, don't ask people, how old are you? Or are you married? Do you have children? Uh, how do you balance work uh, and family life? Uh, those are very personal questions that you can find the answer to what you're asking by not approaching <laughs> the, that interviewer like this. Um, lastly, negative or critical questions um, about the company or the interviewer. How quickly can I get promoted in this position? Or what are the chances of me getting a raise within the first year? As you can tell, all of these are very self-focused. So avoid that. Let's ask exploratory questions of the interviewer, uh, not the "whiffem, what's in it for me questions so bluntly.
0: So John, let's transition and talk about some personal items. We always like to do this at the end of the show to make sure that we're retaining some of our humanity as healthcare can be all consuming. And I think I'm going to go first this time. So this is a silly one, but it's it's funny because I just I the older I get, the more I have for the appreciation of little things in life. So right now, the Buffalo Airport is repaving the main runway. And this sounds like something that should not matter, but it does because they're now using an alternate runway, which has changed the flight patterns. So this has been significant for me because now planes that are landing fly right past my office. So every five minutes when I'm in my office seeing patients, I can glance out the window and see, you know, planes at somewhat low flying by. And that's really cool. Oh, there goes one right now. But also super cool because at home, the planes that are coming over our house. So not low enough where, you know, it's loud and it's disruptive, but low enough that it's pretty cool to watch them. You can see them putting down the landing gear. So it's been fun for me. It's been fun for the kids. Just this little change that really doesn't make a huge difference in day-to-day life, but it's been a source of joy and really been something that's been fun over these next few months. And then, you know, once the runway is done, it's going to go back to normal and the planes will go away. So I'm enjoying it over these next few months while it's there. How about you?
1: we, we talked a bit about wrapping, um, up, up the year last week. And I, as a father, um, so my personal item on this, cause I'm a father of four boys. It's so fun to see your kids take on different personalities and in interests. So my wife this year, um, told all the kids, you get to pick one thing to do during the summer. Like, Whether it be uh, this camp or that camp or lessons for this. And they all chose different things. Found out like one of them uh, was going to do soccer or lacrosse with his friends, but he got accepted to be in percussion and band. So he says, I'm going to start taking lessons, drum lessons uh, this summer. Like, hey, buddy, you know, they're going to teach you that in school next year. You can do something. He's like, no, I want to. He's just so determined. And I love that. And it's musical. My other. Kids is doing basketball one's doing soccer and one's doing a hiking camp where he's going to be identifying uh different plants uh different um insect species learning how to like traverse i, I think that some things i didn't really get a chance to do when, when i was a kid um being able to see your kids take on those personalities and be able to do those things with them and learn a bit more and get excited for them i don't know anything about basketball but I'm going to learn now that my son's excited about it. So that's what I'm excited about the summer is get to see them thrive and excited about doing their own thing and having their own little personalities that aren't always bunched with each other. Uh, So I'm a proud father, you know?
0: I love it. Well, thank you, everybody. So as always, this is White Coats The Round Table. If you like what you hear, consider giving us a follow, like us, subscribe. If you really like what you hear, give us a review. If you don't like what you hear, definitely don't review us. Until next week, this is Mike and John. Have a great week, everybody.